Hello, I am SEAC retired John Wayne Troxel, and welcome to Leader Talk. At Leader Talk here, I try to have conversations about relevant issues that affect the United States military or the United States in general. You notice when I explained who I was, I used the acronym SEAC and obviously retired. And SEAC, S-E-A-C, stands for Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And so I've dedicated this episode to what is the SEAC and what does the SEAC do? And so the senior enlisted advisor to the chairman, it's a distinct military position and rank within the United States Department of Defense, which a lot of people don't know about. And it's designated as the most senior enlisted position uh, and enlisted service member by position in the United States Armed Forces. Right now, we are on SEAC number five. It's a Marine. Sergeant Major Troy Black is now the SEAC, SEAC Troy Black now. Uh, I was SEAC number three. I was replaced uh, in December of 2019. I served from 2015 to 2019 in that role and was replaced by CZ Colon Lopez of the Air Force. I was an Army guy, went to an Air Force guy, and now it's a Marine. And the SEAC is appointed by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the senior officer in the United States military. And you serve as an advisor to the chairman. Now, when I was there, I also advised the Secretary of Defense. But I noticed as I was looking through the Joint Chiefs of Staff dot mil page that they've amended the SEAC responsibilities. And it doesn't talk about advising the Secretary of Defense. I was also, when I was the SEAC, an advisor to the Secretary of Defense. You advise the chairman on all matters involving joint and combined total force integration, utilization, health of the force, and joint development for enlisted personnel. So if you think in every service, there is a service chief. So for the Army, it's the chief of staff of the Army, and the senior enlisted person is the sergeant major of the Army. And the same in the other services, you know, the chief of naval operations, the master chief petty officer of the Navy, and so on across the forces. But what a, lot of, what a lot of people don't know <clears throat> is that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is the senior officer in the U.S. Armed Forces, and he provides best military advice to the Secretary of Defense and the President of the United States, and he has that senior enlisted advisor, which is the SEAC, which is why that position is the senior enlisted position in the DOD. I kind of mentioned by charter what the SEAC does, but basically... Every one of us, the five that have done it, Joe Ganey, Army, Brian Battaglia, Marine, myself, Army, Colon Lopez, Air Force, and now Brian, excuse me, Troy Black, uh, Marine Corps, each of us has worked for different chairmen. For me, for 43 months, I worked for General Joe Dunford, Marine, uh, who was the 19th chairman. In my last five months, I closed out with uh, the 20th chairman, uh, Army General Mark Milley. And each chairman treats their senior enlisted differently. And for me, when Joe Dunford hired me, he said, look, if you're going to wait around for me to tell you what to do, you're going to be waiting for four years in this job because I expect you to know what to do. So that was a message to me that I had to understand our national defense and national military strategy, but more importantly, the chairman's vision and priorities for the joint force. And then I had to come up with focus areas that would complement what the chairman was getting after. 
Now, different than the service senior enlisted who are under Title 10 authority, and they can get after things for their service, you know, like uniform policies and, and things like that, health and welfare and morale policies and things like that. The SEAC, you don't have that authority. Unless it affects the entire U.S. military, you really can't institute anything other than things with joint education and things like that. So you are living in the art of influence, the art of leadership. And it's about going out and visiting the troops and understanding what's going on with them, but more importantly, so that they understand what the expectation is from Washington, D.C. and at the strategic level for wherever they're at in the world. So I boiled it down to two things I focused on. That was delivering the pulse of the force to the chairman, the secretary of defense, and the presidential administration, basically on what the troops were doing. Did they understand their mission wherever they were at in the world? And did it make sense to them doing what they were doing? And then also delivering the why to the troops. Why were they in this area of responsibility or why were they serving in this foreign country or whatever they were doing? So it was twofold for what I did, the pulse for my bosses and the why to the troops. So this meant that as the SEAC, I was on the road a lot. I had, although my office was in the Pentagon uh, every year for four years, about 270 days out of the year, I was on the road visiting troops. And in all the garden spots that everybody wants to go to, places like Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, places like that where we had troops in combat or that were doing uh, key integrated deterrence missions to get after, you know, what they were asked to do in that country. Now, the, uh, the key thing, because I was an army guy, you know, sometimes people could confuse you for being the sergeant major of the army. All right. And uh, so what I didn't want to do when I was the SEAC was have redundancy in what the services senior enlisted were doing, but most importantly, what the sergeant major of the army was doing. So I focused on that art of influence and that art of gaining information by traveling the world and seeing all of the troops. So I've spent time on Navy submarines and Navy ships. I've spent time with Marines in combat zones and soldiers in combat zones, on airfields, done check rides on F-16s, and even spent time uh, with the Coast Guard on Coast Guard cutters and things like that, and obviously visited all of the combatant commands all around. Now, what people don't understand is that through the first two SEACs and through my tenure as the third SEAC, almost until the last 10 days, there was no distinctive rank or official title for the SEAC. So I was still an Army Command Sergeant Major up until 10 days before I retired when Chairman Milley pinned my rank on me, my distinctive rank, which you can see here for all the services distinctive ranks for the chairman, and also gave me that official title of SEAC. So now I was no longer a Command Sergeant Major my title was SEAC, Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman, and I wore the Army-appropriate rank for that. So not a lot of people know that, but it is now in policy, in regulation, and as if you look at SEAC Troy Black right now, he wears the Marine Corps uh, insignia for the SEAC position. And now, 
Before I go on to talk about some of the other things that the SEAC was responsible for and I did, let's take a quick break and let's hear from our sponsors at Downrange Supplements. Downrange Supplements. As the brand of the troops, we produce only the highest quality supplements conducive to mission effectiveness. Whether it's our fully dosed pre-workout, recovery and rehydration, or Mermite protein, it's time to continually improve your fighting position with Downrange Supplements. Go to www.downrangesupps.com today and take your training to the next level. Hey folks, welcome back to Leader Talk. I'm SEAC retired John Wayne Troxell. The discussion we're having today is on the position and title of the SEAC. I talked in the first segment about the kind of things that I focused on. And again, whenever you serve in that position, you serve at the whims of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And like I told you before, uh, General Dunford used me as his eyes and ears forward in places that he couldn't be, you know, so I made trips to Taiwan, you know, and because of the one China policy, our general officers and flag officers couldn't attend there. But I went there on behalf of the chairman. I went to other areas that might have been economy of force kind of things, you know, in Colombia and places uh, in Africa and, and places like that, that the chairman couldn't be because it wasn't the best use of his time. Uh, but that was based again on understanding what my boss wanted out of me and then understanding that I was in the art of influence in the position of influence and I needed to get out and do these things. The other thing that I tried to do, you know, the chair, the, excuse me, the SEAC is responsible for the Defense Senior Enlisted Leader Council. This is the senior enlisted body that gets after any kind of issues affecting the force, the troops of the force, morale, welfare, education, any of these things. And twice a year, I would host conferences with the DSELC. The DSELC consisted of all the service senior enlisted from all the services, and I included the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard in there. Even though he was a part of Department of Homeland Security, I still included him in it because he was part of a military service. But it also included the combatant command senior enlisted leaders. Those senior enlisted leaders that were responsible for each of their geographical combatant commands for the battle space and for the troops that were operating in that. So we came together as a collective body, about 20 of us, twice a year uh, to get after issues affecting the force. But more importantly, what I tried to do was give this enlisted body a sense of strategically what we were going after. So whenever we had these conferences, I would set up calls at the White House with the presidential administration, with the White House chief of staff or the national security advisor or folks like that so we could have a dialogue between the most senior enlisted in the DOD and the members of the administration. I also brought in the spouses of each of these DSELC members to also come in to the White House and meet with the First Lady and key staffers there that were getting after quality of life issues and family issues associated with the military. Had a huge impact on, the, on educating these senior enlisted leaders and spouses so they could go back <clears throat> and be better at taking care of their force, their commands, but most importantly, the families. The other thing I did, which 
you know, wasn't popular with some senior enlisted leaders uh, that were part of the D-cell was I did uh, these press conferences with the Pentagon Press Corps. Now, some people think enlisted people in front of the media, that might be a recipe for a disaster. But I'm here to tell you, who better to tell the story of the soldier, sailor, airman, marine, guardian, and coast guardsman than the most senior enlisted person of their service? So I would bring together in the Pentagon press room with the 35 members of the Pentagon press corps. One session would be myself and the service senior enlisted leaders talking about quality of life issues and talking about uh, organizing, equipping, and training, what the services are responsible for. The press conference immediately after that would be with myself and all of the combatant command senior enlisted leaders talking about the operational environment and how the troops were doing and operating in that environment. And I will tell you, it was a huge hit with the media and it allowed us to build relationships that when bad things would happen in the services or in combatant commands, that um, the media wouldn't immediately run off with the story and everything. They would consult with me or they would consult with those members of the D-cell and get the facts first. It was a huge asset for us to have that relationship with the media. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen anymore uh, in, in between the SEAC's office and the DSELC and the Pentagon Press Corps. I don't know why it doesn't happen. It was an effective tool when I had it, and I sure wish we were still doing it because the troops need to hear from their most senior enlisted people. So the other thing I tried to do with the DSELC was build this global network of senior enlisted leaders that could share best practices and lessons learned in developing non-commissioned officers and petty officers, but more importantly, in developing the force. And so I spent a lot of my time when I traveled going to these combatant command areas of responsibility all around the world and visiting my counterparts in foreign countries. And I think the last toll I had is as the SEAC in my four years, I visited 89 countries and some of them upwards of 10 and 12 times like Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, places like that. But I built these relationships so that the SEAC from Japan could feel comfortable talking to one of the NATO SEACs from a country there. And then when we would have conferences like at the NATO uh, headquarters and things like that hosted by the NATO senior enlisted leader. It wasn't just NATO nations in the U.S. Uh, a part of those. We would bring in partners from the Pacific and vice versa. When we would have an Indo-Pacific command conference in Hawaii or in some country over there, we would have partners from Europe that would come in there. And certainly when it comes to the Five Eyes countries of the U.S., U.K., Canada, uh, New Zealand and Australia, we had a very close-knit relationship and my counterparts and I were very close. And I think that's imperative for the position of the SEAC and for any strategic level senior enlisted leaders to have those relationships with their, their partners. I can tell you when the war kicked off in Ukraine, my good friend Alexander Kaczynski, the current Ukraine SEAC, the first person he reached out to was me because he and I maintained the relationship, even though I was retired now. And I think those relationships aren't just driven by service. They are lifelong uh, 
relationships that are built on friendship. And the last thing uh, that showed me that in the culmination of why this global network of senior enlisted leaders was so successful is that my last DSL conference I had was during the week of my retirement ceremony. And when I switched out with CZ Colon Lopez and during that DSELC, I turned it into an inter international uh, DSELC and 36 SEACs from around the world were in attendance. And I'm talking from South America, from Africa, from the Middle East, from Europe, from Asia, all over the world, these SEACs came in to include Alexander Kaczynski from the Ukraine. They were there for that event and they were there for my retirement ceremony. And I think those kind of relationships are what we need more of in our joint force in this most contentious operating environment we have going on right now. So in the next segment, I kind of want to talk about some of the other relationships in Washington, D.C. with the SEAC. But first, let's take a quick break and let's hear again from our friends at Downrange Supplements. How you guys doing? I'm Colton Smith. And I'm announcing right now, Downrange Supplements is in your local commissary. If you're anywhere near a base and you have base access, get to the commissary and check out our pre-workout, our rehydration BCA formula, and our protein. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. It is the best in the market. Enlisted 9 Fight Company, my brand, is partnered with Downrange Supplements for a reason. And I tell you, their products work. And also, don't forget, we kill suckers. Hey folks, welcome back to Leader Talk. I'm SEAC retired John Wayne Troxel. We're discussing what the SEAC position is and what the SEAC does. And I kind of talked to you through the first two segments about some of the things the SEAC by charter is responsible for, but more about the art that the SEAC has to get after of influence to fulfill what the chairman asked him to get after. The one thing I, I didn't discuss, and I want to close out talking about, is how relationships matter in that position. Think of this. You work for the senior most military officer whose time is driven by their best military advice to the president of the United States, their work with the secretary of defense and the office of the secretary of defense, their work with or his work with the department of state, you know, to synchronize efforts between foreign policy and military action and things like that. So the chairman being a very busy person and general Dunford would tell me all the time, Hey, if you need to see me, come in and see me whenever you want. But I wanted to make sure I respected the man's time because I knew how busy he was in preparing to brief the president or to do uh, other things with some of these other agencies or organizations in the National Security Council and everything. So because I couldn't be around the chairman as often as I would have liked to have been, now don't get me wrong, we traveled together a lot. We did a lot of things with the troops together and we would meet on a regular basis. And if nothing else, we were certainly emailing and texting back and forth. But because I couldn't spend as much time with my boss, the chairman or the secretary of defense, 
as, as much as I would have liked to, I had to build relationships with the people that were a lot closer to him. So who is always with a four-star general? Their aide-de-camp, their leader of their actions group or their initiatives group, their executive officer, people like that are with them all the time. And as the SEAC, you know, 60% of my time, I was traveling on my own on behalf of the chairman and the secretary. 30% of the time I traveled with the chairman and about 10% of the time with the secretary of defense. And most of that 10% of the time during my four years was the two years I spent with secretary Jim Mattis. Okay, but I built these relationships with the staff or staffs around them that allowed me to be more in the information network, but also to be more relevant into what was going on within uh, those offices when I wasn't there or they weren't there and everything. This also included key members on the joint staff. The joint staff is the senior staff in the United States Armed Forces, senior military staff. And this staff directly advises the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So those Joint Staff Directors, all three-star generals, but also including the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, another four-star, and other key people like the director of the Joint Staff, who's kind of like the chief of staff, I made sure that I was in the information network with them as well. So wherever I went and did a trip, whether that was in Raqqa, Syria, you know, for the fall of ISIS, or whether that was on the southwest border or wherever it was at, the after actions report that I sent to the chairman and the secretary, I made sure that I sent it to all the J staff directors, the joint staff directors as well, so that they were in the information loop. And here's why that's important, especially in that position where you're not focusing on haircuts and cigarette butts or uniform policy and stuff like that. Um, if people don't know what you're doing, they're more apt to think that you're screwing off. But if they know exactly what you're doing and where you're doing at, they can be an asset in helping you prepare for a trip. So if I was going to go to Yemen to visit our most elite special operators and I needed a brief on what was going on there, the J-5 and the J-7 would be more than happy to come in and get, have their folks give me a brief and spin me up on that. The same with areas like Taiwan and some of these other areas as well. So the point was, in order to be most relevant at that level, I made sure that I included everybody in my information that I was sending to the chairman and the secretary, and also included some of our key liaison officers that were at the White House, because I wanted the whole world to know what SEAC John Wayne Troxell was doing. So the bottom line with the SEAC position is, it is the senior most enlisted position in the Department of Defense, by policy, by charter, okay? And in order to be relevant to the troops, the position of the SEAC, whoever is holding it, has got to be out where the troops are at. You cannot sit in the Pentagon and think that you're going to get the pulse of the force. So you got to be out in all of these critical areas around the world, but more importantly, at critical training sites in the United States and critical camps, posts, and stations, spending your time with the troops so they know who you are, but more importantly, so you can gain the pulse of the force for the chairman, secretary, and presidential administration and deliver the much-needed why to the troops so they understand the direction we're going with our national defense. 
And that's it on uh, the position of the SEAC. Now, got to give my finish off this show by giving out my warrior shout out like I do every show. And the warrior shout out today goes to a fine army officer that I had the opportunity to spend the day with today. Uh, earlier today, I was doing some leadership discussions at the University of Washington ROTC program, along with my good friend, Colonel John Chung. And the professor of military science there the, is a, a great American, and he is the subject of our warrior shout out. His name is Lieutenant Colonel John Logan. And as a young lieutenant in 1st Ranger Battalion in Afghanistan, John Logan led a mission on a high-value target to take a very important terrorist target off the battlefield. It was a fierce firefight that saw American casualties, but in the end, uh, the unit overcame uh, the adversity with the casualties. They got the mission accomplished, and they got jackpot on the target that they were looking for. And for those efforts, as a young lieutenant, John Logan was subsequently awarded the Silver Star. And what I saw today up at the University of Washington, where he's at now as a lieutenant colonel, giving back to these young cadets who are going to be the future of our military and nation, he is still doing the kinds of things that we need from leaders at that level to prepare the next generation of warfighters to continue to get after defending our freedom our homeland and way of life. So shout out to Lieutenant Colonel John Logan. Good to know you. It was great spending time with you and God bless you. And to all of you out there, keep pounding, stay focused, get after whatever you're getting after in life. And we'll see you on the next episode of Leader Talk hosted by SEAC retired John Wayne Troxel. God bless America. Boom. <laughs>